What is up, guys? Welcome to episode number 146 of Beeps Beef. I told you guys I'd give you two episodes in a week. Guess what? I'm doing it. Uh, today, I, I, I have a great episode. Uh, I know I say this every time, but guess what? I mean it every time. But before we get into my episode, uh, I want to talk about my sponsors. First, I have Crystal Lackey at Stockton Mortgage. Um, I say it every time. Crystal Lackey is one of my good friends. She does a lot of great things over at Stockton Mortgage. Hit her up for all your home loan, uh, refinancing, just any mortgage needs. Hit her up. Call her at 502-615-0743. Again, Hit her up for all your home loan, mortgage, refinancing needs, 502-615-0743. Stockton Mortgage is an equal housing lender, MLS number 8259, Crystal Lackey, MLS number 1735979. My other great sponsor is Isaac Thomas over at Delium Clothing. Again, that's Delium with a B, B-D-E-L-L-I-O-M. Delium is a men's and women's minimalistic brand that focuses on modern aesthetic and quality. It's pronounced Delium, even though there is a B in the front. It is B-D-E-L-L-I-O-M. Delium is, everything comes pre-shrunk, so you don't have to worry about anything shrinking in the dryer. It's already done. Uh, they have a, a great men's line right now at Hems Gentleman Boutique in downtown New Albany, Indiana. So go and check those things out. Uh, you can find Delium Clothing at Delium Clothing on Facebook and at Delium Clothing on Instagram. So if you have any questions, either hit me up or check out one of those two things on Facebook or Instagram. Again, it's at Delium Clothing, B-D-E-L-L-I-O-M, clothing on Instagram and just Delium Clothing on Facebook. Now today... Uh, like I said, I have a great interview for you guys. Uh, you guys can hear him on the radio. You guys can see him uh, winning basketball games in Division One this year. Uh, today, I have none other than Louisville's own Coach Scott Davenport, the coach of Bellarmine University men's basketball team. Scott is one has been an assistant under uh, Coach Denny Crum. He's been an assistant at VCU alongside the likes of Tubby Smith. He coached um, at Ballard High School, won a state title in the year that I was born, which I can't wait to, to dig in for that because I think he'll think that's pretty funny. Um, coaching uh, guys that you may have heard of, Alan Houston, Dewan Wheat, was an assistant again under Coach Crum and Coach Patino. And then finally he took over as the head coach at Bellarmine. So I can't wait to do this interview today. Ask him. I have a lot of good questions for him. Um, he's pretty pumped about him as well. So, guys, without further ado, Coach Scott Davenport. So I'm here with Coach Scott Davenport. Coach, I appreciate you joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing super. This is uh, – it, it's great because during very difficult times, uh, you, you need to rely on people. And what we have built since our guys came back July 5th, there was a period where they went home and then came back to start the semester – uh, it's been great because we fed off them and they have fed off us. And if you're an 18 to 22 year old, these are confusing times. So we've tried to be there for our guys in very creative ways, but it's been very rewarding because it, it, it kind of restores your, your optimism that we're going to be okay because of these young people and our guys have been amazing. I'm proud of them. 
I would even say it doesn't even have to pigeonhole 18 to 22 year olds. It's been confusing for everyone. I would say. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Every Thursday we give them the schedule for the next week. And that, that is so that they can schedule tutors and this schedule is around their classes or if they've got, you know, study sessions or class meetings, et cetera. And uh, I told them in July, I said, guys, I know we take pride in being meticulous and, and being very thoughtful. And, and so everything's lined out, but trust me, it's going to change. And I'm apologizing right now that it's going to change and it's going to change over and over and over, but just learn to be resilient, learn, learn to, to, to understand things are going to change. And it's ironic. It's like, I tell them all the time, it's like running a mile race and you get an eighth of a mile from the finish line, you're ready to kick it in. And then they go, no, 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 we're going to run a two mile race. <laughs> yeah. And then they keep, they keep moving the, the, the finish line, but they have been resilient. I'm proud of them. And, you know, I'm encouraged because these young people are the answer. I mean, going forward, they're the answer. And I've I got a little two year old, two month old, two-year-old, excuse me, granddaughter. I only have one grandchild, a two-month, a two-year-old. And she needs them. You know, I tell them all the time, Ren needs you all. She, she needs you all to be great. And uh, I'm encouraged. Nice. So I was looking up some stuff about you. So you started your coaching career uh, at the University of Louisville. You're on my mind. Well, yeah, I, I was – I'm not trying to correct you. Actually, I, my college coaching career. College yes. coaching career, okay. But in 1978, upon graduating in, with a degree in psychology from U of L, I was the JV coach at Aaron's High School. Nice. Aaron's High School is on the corner of First and Chestnut between Chestnut and Ali. It is now the Brown School. Brown School, yeah. But back then, it was not the trade school, it was Aaron's High School. And I coached there two years. Then I went to Ballard as the JV coach for three years. Then I became a, a graduate assistant at U of L. Gotcha. So you, you became a grad assistant under Coach Denny Crum, who I've actually had on the, on the podcast twice. Uh, when, when did you say to yourself, though, I guess it was before that, when did you say to yourself that this is kind of what I want to do, or when did you realize that coaching is what I'm going to do? Okay. So I go to the University of Louisville, and I'm going to be a pharmacist. And I'll, I'll say this with all humility. I'll say what I'm getting ready to say to you. I say this with tremendous humility. The corner of third and Eastern Parkway, the natural science building on the campus of the university of Louisville room one a lecture hall in the natural science building. And I think in one of the, one of the chairs, one of the desks sits a plaque that said, here set Scott Davenport, the absolute worst chemistry student in the history of the University of Louisville. <laughs> and I walked out that spring after, after that chemistry class, and I said, who are you kid? You're not going to be a pharmacist. You're going to be a teacher and a basketball coach. And that was it. But in reality, I, looking back, this is something that I take great pride in. I made the basketball. I went to Southern. I grew up in the south end of Louisville. I grew up on Central Avenue, right by Churchill Downs. And I, I went to Southern Junior High School. It's now Olmstead North. And I made the basketball team. Back then, it was junior high. It was not uh, middle school. So it was grades 7, 8, 9. I made the, the basketball team as an eighth grader, which was a big accomplishment. Eighth graders didn't make the team. And I kept a diary, a, a diary 
in a spiral notebook and I kept it and I wrote down every single day what we did in practice. Every single game, I'd recap the game and I kept it. Eighth night, the eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th, 11th, 12th at Iroquois High School. I went to the University of Louisville, walked on the JV team under Coach Jones, under Coach Jerry Jones, and I kept it two years there. So when I walked out of that, you know, doing horrible in that chemistry class and getting through that class with a D, I, I knew back in that eighth grade I was going to be a coach. Why did I keep that diary? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, that's a good as point. My sons, as my sons grew up and got involved in athletics, and Doug's my assistant at Bellarmine now, you know, we would go through my memorabilia. We would go through things, and, and they would just be amazed. Now it would have to be a blog or a journal or, you know, a log or, but back then it was just a diary and I commented on what we did, what drills we did, how I played, my teammates, the great coaches I played for. So to answer your question, why did the spirit move me in the eighth grade to write down my thoughts every day? I think I was just going to be a basketball coach. And here I am. My mother passed away 10 years ago. And it'll be 11 years ago this, this November. And she said to me, October, I'm sorry. She said to me right before she passed away, she said, you know, Scotty, if you really keep working hard, maybe you'll get a real job and make something out of yourself. I'm still trying. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever had a job. I, I've had a, a ad vocation. A job would be a vocation. And I've never really had one. I've had an advocation. So, you know, that, that past started. And when I went to the University of Louisville after leaving uh, Aarons and Ballard, well, that was to be a college coach because I was going to be a true graduate assistant. I was going to get my master's degree, which I did in college student affairs. And then when I got that, I was all in to be a college coach. I'm hired by Coach Polio, Coach Mike Polio at VCU. And I'm on a staff that Tubby Smith and I are assistant coaches. Now, this is before Tubby Smith was Tubby Smith. Yeah. I mean, he was not the, the coach at the University of Kentucky. He's Tubby Smith. We're at VCU. And Tubby and I laugh about it now. We laugh so hard. We, I was living in Richmond. I lived in, in a dorm. The summer prior to me starting, my wife's here eight months pregnant with my oldest son, Russ. I'm living in a dorm. Well, it, it would get so hot in the dorm, I would literally go to the office and almost sleep in the office. But it was while Tubby would go home and he'd call me and, and there was no supplements. He'd call the office line. He'd say, coach, what, what's going on? I said, well, Tubby, I'm just in here. It's cooler and I'm getting some work done. He goes, I'll come pick you up. And we would just go to different establishments in Richmond. Next thing you know, and this is no joke, and I know people laugh about it. Next thing you know, napkins would be out, and we'd be Xing and Owen. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was unbelievable. Mike Polio is a head coach. Um, Eddie Webb, who went on to become the executive director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Tubby Smith and I. Our, our graduate assistant was Ray Harper. 
who would go on to win a national championship at Kentucky Western as the head coach now at Jacksonville State. Uh, it was incredible. And I know you asked me before we started, well, how then did you go to Ballard in, 19, in the fall of 1986? Well, my grand plan was to be a head coach. Mm -hmm. and right then, it's different now. A lot of college coaches were not getting hired because people were saying, well, you've never been a head coach. Well, from being the JV coach at Ballard, I knew the administration, I knew the people, and I thought, well, I can be a head coach and be successful, and I won't be labeled just an assistant. Yeah. This was my dilemma. So I take the job at Ballard, and I'll never forget Coach Polio made it very difficult for me to leave. I was going to get a promotion at VCU. I was going to be named an associate head coach. And, but it was, it was the right thing to do because I had to be a head coach. Well, can, can we take it back real quick? I, how did the um, graduate assistant job come, come about? So I know you said you played JV under Coach Jones. That's so is, that just, is that the connection there? You just brought it up to them that you would love to do that? Yeah, it was, it was ironic when I was a JV player and they would bring varsity guys in on official visits. I was kind of like the designated host. So I kind of learned recruiting from the ground up, you know, through Coach Houston, through Coach Jones, through Coach Dotson. You know, I kind of learned through Coach Olson. I mean, oh, my gosh. I, and, and I to this day, I have built my reputation on the biggest law start in college. In all of sports, is the ability to judge talent. And that ability goes back to Coach Crum and to Coach Olson and Coach Jones and Coach Houston. But so I was kind of the designated, okay, we're having a recruit in. Let's let's let Scotty be their official host. So I kind of learned recruiting from the from the absolute ground up. And, and that that being a graduate assistant, I fell into it because when I played JD, I started working basketball camp for Coach Olson. So I was kind of the guy they never could get rid of. <laughs> even if they tried, they, were, they weren't getting rid of you. No, no, they, they couldn't. And, and then even all my years from VCU to Ballard, I still worked, ran the summer basketball camp every summer. Every summer. That's, that's awesome. So was that a difficult decision? And I would imagine it was because you said your wife was then pregnant with your oldest son. How difficult of a decision was it leaving your alma mater at Louisville and then moving to a different state and coaching at VCU? Well, I, I had received my master's degree in student affairs, and I got offered a full-time position with Coach Polio at, at VCU. And Coach Polio is a Louisville native. He's from Louisville. Matter of fact, he's a Bellarmine graduate. He's a very proud Bellarmine graduate. And I knew of Coach Polio, and he was he had got the job at VCU, was forming this staff. And Coach Olson and Coach Jones, they they really were instrumental in me getting the job because they were like, Coach Polio, you're never going to regret hiring us. You've got to hire this guy. Then I go, and then I get offered this job at Ballard. Well, so what would you say in your first two years? Because that's two pretty prestigious coaches. What would you say were the big, the two, like the, the biggest things you took from your first two years of coaching, even though one was a great assistant and the next one was an, was an assistant coach? Well, under Coach Crum, under Coach Polio, you immediately learned, and it's probably the number one rule in our program today from a staff standpoint, put the players first. If it's their academic needs, if it's, 
you know, if they've got issues that they, you know, going on in their life, if it's material things, put them first. Put them first. It, you'll never go wrong putting your players first. And, you know, it's ironic. My high school coach probably shaped my life. I lost my dad when I was nine years old on Halloween day. 1.15 in the afternoon, that's a, a massive heart attack, 15 feet from me. Now, you think when you're nine and Halloween's on a Sunday, man, that's a pretty good day, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I lose my dad 15 feet from me. He drops dead of a, a massive heart attack. And my high school coach, you know, he, he said to me, I'm going to help you out. And I said, what? He said, meet me at school tomorrow morning on a Saturday at 10 o'clock. I said, yes, sir. And my high school coach took me up there and he, he pulled up in a truck and he said, you get underneath and I'll do the track and we clean the stadium. We cleaned it. There was no, no plastic bags. There was no blowers. There's no, there wasn't a stick with a nail on the end of it. It was pick it up with your hands and put it in a garbage can, a metal garbage can. He said, I'm going to help you and your mom. And, and he paid me because we didn't have that. Well, my high school coach used to sell candy out of his classroom to give us a coat and a shirt and a tie and a pair of pants to wear on game day. So my lesson about putting young people first has never left me. And then you look at Coach Crum and you look at Coach Polio. As soon as I'm hired from them, I was driven just to put – young people first and here i am at bellerman in 2020 sitting in this locker room that dr lynn and mrs lynn provided for our players to put them first so i've never i've never changed from that that one value that i've embraced so the the year after you left was it kind of discouraging seeing U of L win the national championship the year that you went to you? <laughs> well, yeah, in 1986. Well, I mean, I, you know, you look, they won at 80. I'm there. I'm there watching as I'm a JV coach. But, you know, there's there's main stories with that. There's a uh, – matter of fact, I'll tell. Let's so, hear. 1980, the Sunday, the day before the national championship game against UCLA, Coach Jones calls me about – Eight o'clock Sunday morning, and says, Scotty, he said, I've got a problem and I need your help. He said, I taped the UCLA Purdue game here in my 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 room and, and the recorder didn't work. But a gentleman in Louisville, Dr. Zimmerman, has a tape. I need you to go get it in Louisville and drive it up here to Indianapolis. I got to have that tape. This is an old time tape. <laughs> I drive, no, there's no GPSs, there's nothing. I got an address. I drive to Dr. Zimmerman's, get the tape, I drive it to, to Indianapolis. Doc, and I get there and Coach Jones says, the least I can do is invite you to the game tomorrow night. I got two tickets, he hands me two tickets. Well, I asked my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, I said, you want to go to the game tomorrow night? We go to the game, and my wife's 
mother worked at Old Stewart's the department store. They had printed national championship shirts. Just the thought they were going to win it. They printed 200 shirts. She wears one to the game under her blouse. <laughs> it's bold. They're down 54-50, and she's crying they're going to lose the game. They get the steal. They get the run out. You know, they, they block Vanderway's shot. Eves runs out. They score. Griff hits an and one. Well, now they're going to – now she's crying they're going to win the national championship. <laughs> she unbuttons her blouse, and she's sitting there with a Louisville national championship T-shirt on in Market Square Arena. I mean, nobody had that shirt. They hadn't won yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, that 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 fall, I tell my mother, I said, you know, I've got to talk to you on a Sunday morning. Sharon and I are going to get married. She goes, I know. And I said, what? She goes, when you had two tickets to the national championship game and that's who you took, that's who you were going to marry. I knew, <laughs> I knew last March that's who you were going to marry. So it was hard. But there's never been a bigger fan, and, and there will never be a bigger fan. Uh, the first game I ever went to in the University of Louisville, my best friend in the third grade's name was Larry Bishop, and his dad was a his second job where I grew up. A lot of people had two jobs, was to supply ice to all the concession stands in Freedom Hall, and we got he would take us with him if we finished our homework. Well, we would be the first to get to Freedom Hall because he had to put ice on all the concessions. We last to leave because you had to clean up. I still have game programs. Wade Houston, Wes Unsel, Butch Beer. I have all the autographs. I still have them. And I was eight and nine years old. And then to see him win a national championship in 80 and be there. And in 86, I was there in Dallas, but I wasn't on the staff. But I'd been on the staff in between. And then, lo and behold, you know, eventually I would get back to the staff. Yeah. So you you were mentioning that um, you were actually told that you were going to get a promotion at VCU. So how tough a decision was that to leave there to go back to Ballard and become a head coach? And I know you were saying that they needed that head coaching experience, but that's yeah, that was why. You're exactly right. That's why I, I had to get that. If I my grand plan was to be a head coach in college, and at the time, at the time. They were not – they were passing on coaches because they said, well, all you've done is recruited. You've never been a head coach. I thought, well, I've got to be a head coach. And, and Ballard was not your normal high school program. Richard Schmidt, Don Salyer had done such a great job. I knew we could win there with the right guys and the support. So, you know, I, I made – it was a tough decision. Nobody's a bigger fan in this town than Mike Polio. Now, that is the dad of Dr. Marty Polio, the superintendent of our school. So – and then Miss Ann, Ann Polio was a teacher at Ballard. I, nobody's a bigger fan of Mike Polio than me. And to be on the staff with Tubby, it was tough. It was tough, but I get to Ballard, and in our first year, uh, we go to the state championship. So, so I have a question. So you moving into being a head coach after being an assistant, what was something that hit you that was unexpected that you had never – you were like, well, I did not expect something like this to happen as a head coach. Because I've been in the system before on the high school level, and when you're a head coach as well, there are things that you don't really take into account until you become a head coach. Okay, so I'm a head coach, and my goal – I'm 
at the time, now you, you got to understand I'm, I'm 32 years old. I'm not very old. I mean, I, you know, I'm very young and, but I'm going to win these players confidence. That's what I'm going to do as this first year head coach. I'm going to win their confidence over right away. So I schedule our first preseason scrimmage at Meade County. The head coach's name was Larry Miller. He had a son to go on and play at Marquette, who was a very good player. But I'm going to, I'm going to win their confidence over because this is Ballard High School going to scrimmage Meade County, right? Yeah. So, so we're going to go in there and we're going to just – we're going to devastate them and, and the players are going to say, man, we got a coach. This guy can really coach. We scrimmaged one quarter, two quarters, three quarters, four quarters, five quarters, six quarters, seven quarters. I, by this time, he's using JB, freshman. I mean, he could have been using cheerleaders for all I knew. But I was going to keep saying play another quarter till we finally won one because we were getting dominated. And I was crushed. On the way home, we stopped at a dairy – no, excuse me, a Burger Queen. They don't even exist anymore. No. And I was so crushed. My decision was once we arrived back at Ballard, not are we going to practice. How long are we going to practice? On that Saturday, I'm going to put him in that gym. We're going to practice five hours. I am <laughs> crushed. So I come to my senses. We don't practice. We just get back in there on Monday and off we go. Well, I, I said to my staff, we, we would have long meetings every Sunday to plan out the week. And I said to my staff, I said, if we're 500, if we're 500 on January 1st, we're going to be a good team. Well, the great people of Fairdale High School, Stan Hard and Lloyd Gardner, had invited Ballard for the first time ever to the King of Bluegrass because I was from the South End, and, you know, they want, they want an opportunity. I said, yeah, we'll be, we'd be great for Ballard to play. So we, we play the defending state champion, of course. You know, Hopkinsville's the defending state champion. They bring them in, and, you know, they're going to pound Ballard and all this and that. We beat Hopkinsville every way you could beat them. We end up, we win the King of the Bluegrass. We're 11 and 2 on January the 1st, and we get beat in overtime by Clay County in Rupp Arena in the state championship game in 1987. That was my first year as a head coach. Wow. So I, I'm sure it didn't, it didn't really make you upset to get there and have a guy by the name of Alan Houston either. Well, he was a sophomore. Now we had, we had a junior named Kenneth Martin, who's the father of Keelan Martin, that, that okay. played at Butler, that played at Ballard. We had seniors named uh, Chris Risenberg, uh, uh, Leonard Taylor, Bill Lacey, Jamie Trow, two of which had not even played as juniors. And, and one was an injury. One just wasn't on the team. And I, I, I got him on the team. But we had a backcourt of Allen Houston and Mark Bell. We had Kenneth Martin. We had Todd Howard that went on. Walked on at U of L and became a college a Division One head coach, and um, it, it was amazing. Uh, Allen, as a sophomore, led the state tournament in scoring. As a sophomore, so it, it was an incredible start. Uh, and I, I'll tell you right now, we can push a little time out here. Uh, three years ago, 
this September. One of the absolute greatest things I've ever done in my life as a coach. Uh, a couple of players and I were keeping in touch and talking is I had all the players to my house on a Friday night. They're 45 years old. I gave each one of them a DVD of the state championship game with the audio from the radio laid over top of it. Wow. They got to my house at six o'clock. They left at 2.40 a.m. And all they asked of me was no girlfriends, no wives. And I said, what? They go, coach, she didn't go to Ballard. She didn't want to leave and I want to stay. And it was one of the greatest things I've ever done as a coach because they're 45 years old. Matter of fact, we had so much fun. The next year we had the 2011 national championship team from, Bell from Bellarmine at our house. Very same thing. They all brought their wives because they all met them at Bellarmine. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's, it, it's been rewarding. And, and those players, um, Alan Houston Zoom had Zoom calls during the pandemic with our team, during the shutdown. Uh, it was amazing for him to interact with our players. Uh, these guys stay in touch. If, if we get a, you know, we have a great win or we have a tough loss, I'm going to get two or three texts and say, Coach, you okay? Coach, way to go. It's amazing. Those guys, now they're all turning 50. Yeah, It's crazy it's for amazing. me to think that Alan Houston has turned 50 because that's somebody that I grew up idolizing. He just I, turned 50 years old. Yes, he I, did. I still think that Alan Houston has the best-looking jump shot that I've ever seen in basketball. I agree 100%. I agree 100%. He never played different. He was a big guard at Ballard. He was a big guard at Tennessee. He was a big guard in the NBA. He never played different. Yeah. But what they don't know, he was an advanced program student, which was the top 4% at Ballard High School. He graduated from Tennessee in four years. That's the part people don't know. Allen Houston, the NBA needs Allen Houston. All the sports need it. We need more Allen Houstons, no doubt. Yeah, that's kind of another subject. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, hearing him hearing him speak, it doesn't surprise me when you tell me that he's an advanced, he was in advanced programs. The man is intelligent. You can just hear it in it. He does Instagram lives all the time. Uh, he yes. actually did one. I caught the one the other day that he did with his father. And I was like, man, because my dad always tells me about Wade Houston and, and the things yeah. that happened back in the day with him and Coach Crumb recruiting. And that I, I did Alan, I did an Instagram live with Alan, and I was in tears. No, I, I was literally crying. I mean, yeah. it was it was very emotional. He, he's uh, we need we need Allen Houston's. We do. So the year I was actually born was the next season, 1988. Not to make it feel old or anything, <laughs> uh, but you guys won the the state title. Can you explain now that I know even more that you were actually a JV coach and then you everything had kind of come full circle. You come back to Ballard. You explain the feeling of winning the state title. And was there ever a time during the state tournament or even during the state championship game that you felt like, you know, we may lose this? Well, here's what happened. In the year before, 1987, uh, 22,000 people in Rupp Arena. And we're playing Clay County, and it's like playing Kentucky, and you're the road team. You know, there's 2,000 for Bellarmine and 20,000 for, for, for Clay County. I mean, we were – it was like playing a road game in Rupp Arena with high school kids. Wow. And – and, you know, we get beat. We, we will totally believe out the fact they shot 38 free throws and we shot 13. We, we will leave that fact out totally. We won't even mention that. Uh, in that locker room after the game, among the tears, Mark Bell, our little point guard, said, uh, 
Coach, we will win the state championship next year. We're, we're not going to lose this ever again. That's where it was born. And then that summer, they, it was incredible. And all year, they, they were amazing. Uh, one of the greatest statistics ever in the status of basketball in the state of Kentucky. We played Clay County in 1987 in Rupp Arena State Championship. We played them in Broadbent Arena at the fairgrounds in the LIT semifinal in January. We played them in the state tournament in Freedom Hall in 1988. That's three games. Three games. We played one overtime game in Rupp, a double overtime game in Broadbent. We beat them in regulation in Freedom Hall. If you add up three games, three overtimes. We had players from the inner city. We had players from the Ballard community. We had the, 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 the most economically advantaged kids, the most disadvantaged. They were mountain kids. We had African-Americans. They were white mountain guys. I'm from the South end. Bobby Keith, their coaches from the mountains. We had it all covered. <laughs> we played those three games in front of over 45 thousand people if you add the score up of all those games it was tied wow so maybe that's what it was supposed to be about but we were so driven that that team we we were on a mission i mean that our hardest they're all hard games but this, the most difficult game was the semifinal game against owensboro apollo because the score was 58-53 because they held the ball. And, and you know, we, if we were, we were an up-tempo team, if we were allowed to get on and go, man, we were going to be tough. We're up 15 against Clay County. And, I mean, we're running called plays, and we're throwing lobs, and we're dunking it, we're stealing it, we're going at four-on-one. I mean, we're going to go down as one of the greatest teams in the history of high school basketball. Richie, in the last five minutes of the game, Richie Farmer, who ends up with 51, banks in a three. They call it a three. We, we, Eric Gadwright can't even dunk, and he just comes up and grabs an air ball that's short, and they call goaltending on a three, and we end up being a, ends up being a, a nine-point game. Or they would have said that was one of the greatest high school teams that, that ever played. That team was so driven from the despair in that locker room the year before. If you fast forward in my career before we won a national championship at, 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 at Bellarmine, we were devastated by a three-point shot that was ruled at two at Finley, Ohio, in a regional championship game. And Finley went on to win a national championship that year. And that, that launched us to a national championship. So it happens. That, yeah. that happens. So, so a few years later, you actually coached my favorite UofL player of all time. Yeah. Juan Wheat. And I, I can already tell by your face you have just as much pride in, in, in DeWan Weed as you do as any of your players. If you can't coach DeWan Weed, get out of, go get another job. Go get another career. Now, what, what and, and I'm going to bring it, I hope people will understand. DeWan was one of the most soft spoken, quiet, respected teammates, leaders I've ever coached at any level. And here's why. So back then, the recruiting is letter after letter after letter after letter. And DeWan's got stacks of them every day. 
Now, if you were a high school teammate and you coached high school, you know there's a little bit of resentment that I wish I had were my letters, right? Yeah. They were his biggest supporters. He won an MVP trophy up in Ashland, Kentucky, and he took the trophy and brought his whole team out to get the trophy with him. He, he was uncanny. I'll I, I give you a moment. The outbreak of Operation Desert Storm when we were in the Middle East, we were going to play a game, an LIT game, against St. X. And Dewan's father was in the Middle East. And we go into that game, and we decide that as a show of young people in high school being supportive of our country, the Ballard students, to a recording, they all sung Lee Greenwood, God Bless the USA. Well, we're playing St. X, and they'd given the words out to every, everybody that entered the game. So you got all those male voices from St. X. You got Ballard's entire gym packed. And it's all in honor of our troops in the Middle East. Well, it's in honor of Dewan. Dewan's dad's over there. And that that was that's a national anthem. I'll never forget if I live to be a hundred. He he's balling. Well, I can't I, I what am I gonna do? I can't move around during the national anthem, but I slide down there and I got my arm around him. And I look up and I walk to the two officials and I said, This game won't start until this kid's ready to play. They go, coach, we've watched it. Whenever he's ready, we'll start. We went it, we won a big game. We went in the locker room that night. And, and I'll never forget, we didn't talk about anything but Dewan's dad. Didn't talk about the next game or the past game. And Dewan, if you rode Dewan week home from practice a hundred days in a row, on a hundred on day one oh one, he would say, Coach, thank you very much for the ride. An amazing young man. And then, then, my first year at Louisville, I get to coach him again. Yeah. His senior year. That's – those are some great – I can't lie to you, man. This is getting me pumped because I'm excited to hear all these stories that I've never heard. And, that, like, I, uh, I'm big on that, man. Dewan, Dewan you know, Dewan, he, he was – he was so passionate but he kept it all in. But he was so courteous and respectful of others. That moment when he won that MVP trophy and he made his whole team come out there with him. Hey, that doesn't happen. In this day and age, what do you do? You go get, grab in front of the camera and you grab your shoe, shirt and you say, look at me, right? Yeah. You, 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 you know, pose up for him. Now, he, he's a – I'll tell you, the next person that Dewan Week shows up will be the first. Wow. So I'm not going to have – because I know they're, you're, they're like your children, so I'm not going to say which one was better. I know, I know. I saw that uh, question. But I do have a question, though. I'll, I'll, what would you say that one did better than the other and, and vice versa? What would you say that one did that the other one didn't do? And it's not a, a drag on one, but what would you say that – because as a coach, you have different players that bring different things to the, to the forefront. Who are we comparing? Dewan Wheat and Allen Houston. Allen, Allen, Allen shot better. Dewan defended better. Allen, Allen 
never played any different offensively his whole life. He, he could he could take you off the bounce, shot fake you jump, and when you're coming down, he goes up, gets fouled, gets an one, and goes. Dewan could be so much more explosive. This this is a and I've got the video proof. We were playing Trinity Dewan's senior year at Bowen. And there is a four play sequence where Dewan hit a three, stole the inbounds pass, laid it in, went down, came down. We ran a set play, and it's a lob for him. We kind of cleared out the backside, and the pass is behind him. He catches it and reverse dunks it. <laughs> he, he starts down the court snaps, just turns, steals in bounce pass, and lays it in. So he scores, he scores nine points in four possessions. I'll, and I believe me, I have taunted this individual with this. Trinity takes a timeout. Our whole bench runs to midcourt to mob DeWan because of what we just witnessed. And Jeff Brom is walking back to the Trinity bench, shaking his head like, what did I just see? <laughs> and, and to this day, I get on Jeff and Greg Brom and Brian all the time. I said, I've got film of, Brian, of Jeff Brom's lowest moment ever. I mean, <laughs> and, and they were, yeah, in fairness, they were Dewan's biggest fans. But Dewan was so explosive, whereas Allen was so even killed. He just was. But, but I'll tell you what, though. Dewan could dom- – I had a, a long talk with Dewan as a sophomore at Ballard. He wouldn't, he wouldn't exert himself. If he thought the game was in hand – as a sophomore, I, I called him in. I said, look, you're our best player. You are going to be a major, major player. You have got to exert yourself. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, coach. Yes, sir. The next game. And we had four great seniors. Chad Gilder was going to, to uh, Central Michigan – uh, Scott Schultz was going to uh, uh, UNC uh, Asheville. No, no, Western Carolina. I'm sorry, Western Carolina. We had Division One players. But Dwan was the coach. If they're seniors, it's their year. I'm a sophomore. It's their year. And if, we, and if he exerted himself and we went from four ahead in a possession-by-possession possession game and he got us ahead 12, he'd just shut it down, start passing everybody the ball, like, okay, I'm done. But <laughs> – I will tell you the one we'd story. We were playing St. X in a regional championship game. And it was very heated. It's at Burn Creek High School. And it it got it got personal. Some of their fans were saying things that were not real nice. And he went crazy. I mean, he went crazy. You talking about somebody taking a game over. I mean, and then he wouldn't stop. He's like, okay, you you struck a nerve with me. You attacked me with some things verbally that shouldn't be said. And, I mean, he went off. And their coach, Joe Bergamini, who's a tremendous, tremendous man, shook his hand after the game and said, son, you're, you're the greatest player I've ever seen play. Wow. Now, it was wild. Tubby Smith was at the game that night recruiting for Kentucky. And he, I'll never forget after the game, Tubby said to me, he said, he said, man, that kid can play. He said, that, that is a basketball player. But, you know, Dewan and Allen, like I say, if you don't coach those guys, go, go get another job. Go do something.
so you mentioned St. X twice. Is that that team had uh, Scott Patchett on it, right? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Those were those were amazing rivalries, and and it was the same with Trinity. It was the same with Mayo. The seventh region, the the state tournament was easier than getting out of the seventh region. It may have oh, I guarantee because you had Mayo, you had Jason Osborne there. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. I'm. I'm not sure. Who, Trinity, I guess you said had Jeff Brom. So there was yeah, yeah there was a Jeff, lot of talent in the city. Man. Jeff Brom, Greg Brom. Yes. No. There there was talent. Fern Creek was good. Moore High School was good. It, it was every night was good. Fairdale was right after that. Was on that great run with Jermaine Brown and and uh, Maurice Morris and and those players. I mean, it was unbelievable. Carlos Turner. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. So I'm a, I didn't have this question on here, but you bring up a a question that I've asked other other people from the city. It doesn't seem like the not necessarily that people aren't as good, but the talent isn't like it was even back then in the city of Louisville. It doesn't seem like anymore. What and would nobody you, wants it to be good more than me. Yeah, what would you attribute that to? What, do you think it's more of the prep schools that are popping up? Do you think it's players don't think they can get the, the, the press here so they move to bigger schools like the yeah. Montverds or the Oak Hills? No, I, I think what happens, I think players start specialization, start playing other sports. Lacrosse came in. You know, you started being a one-sport guy playing 12 months a year versus multi-sport. That's not, we didn't have many football players, but but you had kids. There's just more opportunity now. I think what happened in, in, in reality, when we started the advent of AU and travel teams and things, kids got discouraged. If I didn't make the 10-year-old All-Stars, I'll just quit playing. And those kids who would develop over time just got discouraged and quit playing. The pool got smaller. The pool got smaller. You know, kids played, and I know as a coach, I don't care where you were. If you, if you lived in the inner city, I mentioned driving Dewan home after practice. We did it every night. Our, our staff knew that was part of it. Yeah. I mean, I had some of the greatest big win celebrations at the White Castle at 8th and Broadway I've ever had in my life with, with you know, Mark Bell, Kenneth Martin, McDuffie's, Dewan, Lorenzo McGinnis, Terrence Chandler. I, I mean, we took those kids home. Well, we weren't going home. We just stopped. What do you want? Coach, man, we play great. We want White Castle. We just right there at 8th and Broadway, <laughs> man. You, 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 you know, and I think, you know, it became harder for kids just because there were so many other things to do. We need to get back. We, need to get, them in, we need to get them in gyms, get them in the parks, let them get along, let them get along better. And, and then these gyms, we need to fill these gyms up to support them. Yeah. So, like you mentioned, you went back to the University of Louisville and you yeah. got the coach to wander her senior year. Was that a dream come true to become an assistant at, at your alma mater at that point? Well, I worked my whole life to work at the University of Louisville. I, I grew up, you know, five blocks from campus. I had two degrees from there. Biggest Louisville fan in, in town. And truth be known, I had been passed over twice uh, for an assistant position. And I was very, very disgruntled. I mean, I was because it meant so much to me. And I'll never forget, there was an opening in January, a lot of speculation on what Coach Crum was going to do. And it's the end of June, and I'm running basketball camp. And Coach Crum says to me, uh, Scotty, I, I need to see you during lunch. So I, I, all the campers, you know, go to lunch. And I go to Coach Crone's office. And he tells me 
very matter-of-factly, very soft-spoken, that I'm his new assistant. He says, now, don't you tell your family, but don't tell anybody, because I'll announce it next week. I said, yes, sir, coach. So I go down. My sons at that time are like 8 and 10. They're in basketball camp. So I find them, and I say, Russ, duck. I said, I need to talk to you. Dad, where, Dad, where were you at lunch? Dad, we, 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 we had pizza for lunch. Where were you? You run lunch. You're always at lunch. I said, well, listen. No, Dad, where were you at lunch? We, I didn't see you. Russ was emphatic. And Doug's like, Dad, I won one-on-one. -on -one. You, you didn't see my game. In three-on-three, -three, we, we won two games today. And they're telling me about basketball camp. I'm in front of the whole camp that afternoon. We're trying to get ready for dismissal. And I've been with Coach Crum in this meeting. So I got whistles going on, and I'm trying to dismiss 244 campers. And I've got these two, eight, an 8- and 10-year-old, and I'm literally on my knees saying, I've got to tell you something before we dismiss today. Dad was with Coach Crum. Well, where were you at lunch, Dad? We had pizza. <laughs> and I said, you missed my five on. And I said, Dad, we've gotten hired. I'm going to be coaching at Louisville. There's three Davenport's crying at Cardinal Arena. I can put an X on the floor where I was standing. There's three Davenport's crying in, Rupert, in Cardinal Arena. And I can't find my wife anywhere. I finally, finally, she comes to pick them up. It's a Friday. And we're trying to do camp dismissal. And she goes, they said you're looking for me. And I take her out in the hallway, and I use the words. I said, we just got the job at Louisville. She starts crying. I go in there. I now do all the awards ceremony, giving out all the ribbons, the medals, the, the basketballs, the certificates. I, I've got to get all the players back then. You stayed in dorms overnight, checked out of the dorm. I got coaches got to get to the bus station, to the airport. I finally get home, like 10 o'clock at night. And I said, where were you? I called your mother. I called my mother. I called Debbie, your best friend. Where, there's no cell phones. I said, where were you? She goes, come on, I got to show you. She takes me into our bedroom. There's a stack of clothes on our bed. There's red sweaters, black sweaters, red blouses, black and red dresses. She had been shopping. <laughs> There's a stack of clothes two feet high. And I said, did you know that I had this job? No, I did not know it. Here's the receipts. If you didn't get it, I was taking all this stuff back. And she was going to take it all back if we didn't get hired but that's how I started my full-time career then on that Friday at the University of Louisville. They announced it next uh, next week. And uh, it was a dream come true. I mean, it was. So, so you got the coach under Coach Crum at the end of his career yeah. and yeah. then the transition to Coach Patino. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, I don't want to leave. When Coach Crum, I'll never forget, there was a lot of talk about his retirement in his career. And I was first in the office every day. And he came in one morning real early. I'll never forget this. And he, and he walked by me and said, morning, Scott. Said, morning, coach. 
and like a minute later, my phone rang and it's, it's him. Says his number on the phone. He says, Scotty, come here. And I sprint down the hall and I run this office. And he said, uh, I'm going to retire today at three o'clock. I'm going to announce it. And I said, coach, are you okay? He said, Scotty, yes. I, I've got a close circle of friends and they have convinced me beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's a great life beyond coaching. And I, I should enjoy it. And I said, coach, you have earned the right to enjoy it. And he said, how can you say that? You have two sons and a wife. You don't even know you're going to have a job. How can you say that? I said, coach, you have taught me and everybody around you about unselfishness. If I walked in here and said, coach, you need to stay in this job only because of me and my family, I would be selfish. And he said, and that's why I love you so much. And that's why you're going to be successful. And the meeting ended. That's how fast the meeting was right there. So then, now, there's two and a half weeks of tough times. Yeah. But go back, what I was taught about coaching. Put the players first. And Tom Jurich had said to me, he said, promise me, you'll take care of these guys. I said, you know, I have one thing to wear. I don't care if it was 20 hours a day. If I was in the dorm, if they were in my office, if I was on the court, if I was in the weight room, if I had to go have a burger with them, I was going to take care of those guys because of their uncertainty in their life right now. So then Coach Patino's hired, and there's the big fanfare. They have the big celebration down at the Commonwealth Convention Center, now the International Convention Center. And I had a room. I'd gone in and had a room reserved in case he wanted to meet with the players, not knowing my future, just if he wanted to meet with the players. And I knew Coach Crump because he recruited Dewan Wheat. I mean, excuse me, Coach Patino, because he had recruited Dewan. So yeah. I knew it. Well, I, I go up to him after all the press conference, all the fanfare, and I said, Coach, the players are here, and there is a reserve room if you'd like to meet with them. He said, yes, I would. I escort him to the room, walk in, and he asked me to please step out of the room. Mm. Now, what would you think? I'm not getting retained. No doubt, right? Yeah, I'm not getting retained at all. Yeah. So, so we go another week, and I, I, I'm there for 20 hours a day, whatever, whatever question could be brought about. Uh, he brings Kevin Willard on board. Uh, there's, I know Mick Cronin from when he was a freshman coach at Woodward High School in Cincinnati. Let's talk about Mick. And we have individuals one morning at 7 o'clock. Well, I got the players on the court like 6.15. And it's about five to seven, and, and coach comes in and says, Scotty, I need to see you in the coach's locker room. Well, I mean, yeah, this is it. So we walk in there, and he goes, uh, he said, he said uh, I'm going to keep you. He said, Scotty, I've never retained a coach from a previous staff. And he was building up his momentum, and I said, yes, sir, coach, I'm aware of that. And he said, you're aware of that? What? And he lost his train of thought. He goes, what? I said, Coach, you coach at Kentucky. I coach at Louisville. I know everything about you. I've listened to every show. I've, I've gone to clinics. I've watched every film. You're the enemy. I knew everything about you. I knew you had never kept a previous coach from a staff, a staff, a coach from a previous staff. He said, well, I'm keeping you. Just don't say anything. I'll announce it. Out we go. That afternoon, we, we drive to Wabash Junior College to watch Antoine Barber play. And we're driving. And he said, you know, there was a large faction of people 
in this community and this school didn't want me to keep you. And I looked at him like, man, I thought people liked me. And I said, really? He goes, yes, there are. You want to know what I told him? I said, yeah, I'd like to know. They didn't want me to keep you because they said you were so loyal to Coach Crum, I'd be making a mistake. And I went against him and I told him, and that's why I'm keeping you because he will be that loyal to me. That's the kind of person he is. And, and, and I mean, that was an unbelievable ride that day, you know, to be retained. And now, as you look back, I'm coached. That was two Hall of Fame coaches. You have different, two the, argue, arguably two of the best coaches to ever do it. And different as night and day. Yeah. One coach, like his pants were on fire and he had to go 100 miles an hour. The other one was a math major who was very analytical and, 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 and very decisive. But they caught, they took, they taught the game the exact same way from a fundamental standpoint. They just, they just taught it differently. One taught it very high tempo, the other one very analytical, but they both taught fundamentals the exact same, the exact same. It, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> You know, and, and but I, I tell people I'm the luckiest coach who's ever coached at any level to have people like Coach Crum, Coach Patino, Coach Jerry Jones, Bill Olson, Wade Houston, go back to my high school coach, Coach Peffer. They shaped my life. I didn't have a dad. I had the mother was a superstar. These coaches shaped my life. I mean, they did. So I'm so lucky. It, it's it's amazing. So it's no it's no secret with Coach Patino, though. You were talking about how he coaches like he has his pants on fire. One of the biggest things, though, is those teams are in shape. And outside of Kenny Johnson, I would say you probably made the biggest transformation of any of his assistants that I've ever seen. I, I beat Kenny by 20 pounds. Did you really? Here's what happened. That very day when he told me before, after the individual instruction session, that, that morning, three flights of stairs up the back of, Cardinal Arena to the office, top of the stairs. He stopped and he turned and he said, tell you how thorough, to tell you how thorough Rick Pitino is. We all know about his scouting and attention to detail. We get to the top of the third floor and he turns and he goes, um, eight, nine, how were you when your dad died? I said, nine, heart attack, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, name me one thing your dad ever saw you do. And I said, excuse me? He said, your dad never saw, your dad never saw you graduate as much from high school. He didn't see you uh, get married. He didn't see you coach a state championship team. He didn't see you um, start a family. He didn't see you. He named me one thing your dad ever saw you do. And I'm looking at him. And he's amping himself up like we know he can get after it. Name me one thing you, that your father ever saw you do that was meaningful. I said, well, Coach, he did. My dad died when I was nine. He said, Rust and Doug are eight and ten. Tell you how thorough he is. I said, yes, sir. He said, go see Reagan on today because you can't work for me and look for that. Look like you look. Go get yourself in shape, and you grow up to see Russ and Doug do great things because your dad never saw you do one thing. One year to that moment. I lost 73 pounds 
from 249 to 160, 173. My body fat went from 23.8 to 7.8. Wow. He, he, it, 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 it's unbelievable that he knew the button to push. Now I have seen Russ and Doug get, both of them have master's degrees. Uh, Russ has started a family with a two-year-old. Doug's my assistant here at Bellarmine. They're both married, they're both great students. I mean, and my dad never saw me do one thing. He, he it's unbelievable that he and I laugh about it. Now, and during that time when he went all around Louisville, he took all the credit. Everybody'd say, "Well, look at Scotty." He goes, "Oh yeah." I'm like, "Wait a minute, where are you on that treadmill five o'clock every morning?" <laughs> and and but he 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 changed my life. I mean, he did. It was ironic. Connie Leonard, a great reporter for Wave News, wanted to do a story on the weight loss the next year. Kenny Klein asked me, he said, are you going to be running today at noon? I said, yeah, I'm going to run at lunch on the treadmill. It was, during, it was, it was Halloween day. And uh, he said, she just wants to get a film of you to ask you a few questions. And she came. And my mother was still alive. And I said, Connie, I'm, I'm really, I, I, I want to protect my mom. I don't want her to see me weak and see me break down. And she goes, oh, well, I understand. I just want to ask some questions about, you know, you, you've lost this transformation in your body and all that. And so we're, she goes, all right, let's do it. Let's get the camera on. Let's do this. It was 1.15 on Halloween day when she did the story. Mm. Dad died. That's weird. But, you know, to this day, to this day, um, I will forever be indebted to coach because I mean, who knows? It's amazing what he did, but he, uh, and I, I ran six this morning. That's this ended my week at 39 miles today. Wow. He, he, <laughs> he, 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 he's, you know, he, he, and a lot of people have a lot of opinions in this and that, but I, I'll tell you, um, there's a lot of, between Coach Crum and Coach Patino, what people don't realize and I'm not talking about money. They're the two most giving people I've ever known in my life. And I'm not talking about money. We all know what they've done charity guys. They're very, very giving people. And I've tried to live that, that example my whole life. So I, I know I did this earlier. I want, what is something that you feel like that is unfair that people say about Coach Patino that you would, that you would like to fix? Because I feel like there's a lot of things that are, that are out there that you would know, especially someone that changed your life like that, but you hear a lot of things about Coach Patino. What is one thing that you would that you would like to say that, you know, I don't agree with that? He didn't know. He didn't know anything going on. You had no idea. He was the most anal individual about rules ever. And for that to happen, there's no way he knew. Did he, did he make some mistakes in hiring? Yes, he's admitted that. Yeah. He's admitted that. But I'll tell you, both Coach Crumb and Coach Patino are the most giving people ever. And, and the game of basketball needs people that are willing to give. And they give. And I know my relationship now with Coach Patino and with Coach Crumb 
is one of just total admiration. I mean, it is. I, I, there's no way for me to ever thank them enough. Never. We won a national championship at 3.11 in the afternoon in, on March 29th, 2011. 3.11 in the afternoon on, on CBS. Second call into my phone, Coach Patino. I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. When we announced we were going to transition to Division One, he was in Greece, and we both cried. We cried because of how proud he was. He had this vision when I took the job. We cried because he was very confused that he's not here coaching and helping young people. It, it just – it was a very emotional – Very, we laughed. It, it was unbelievable. Uh, and until the pandemic hit, the first game we ever were going to play as a Division One institution was going to be a poly pavilion against UCLA. And I was going to have Coach Crum address our guys on what it means to play in poly pavilion because he's a UCLA, you know, great coach. It's amazing the way those things work out. That's – man, that's, yeah, that's some good stuff. So you were a part of some of the best – or some of the most memorable, I'll say, Coach Patino teams. Oh, yeah. I mean, you had the 2005 team with guys like Larry O'Bannon, uh, Taekwon Dean, Francisco Garcia, but you also coached the, a guy that went on to be one of your assistants in Reese Gaines. Yeah. Uh, what, what was, what was the, that like coaching some of those guys? Because you see them on the floor, and you, I hear you speak about, you know, Alan Houston and Dewan Wheat. What type of people were those guys? Well, it, you know, when – they, they shared the one thing that, that separates good players from extraordinary players. They all were extraordinary because they had great pride in making others better. That's what great people do. You know, a, a, a good player go out and rebound the ball and, and score points and do this and that, but the extraordinary players make others better. And, and those guys, they embraced building something. You go back when Coach Patino was hired and Larry O'Bannon's first session of – oh, he's going to kill me. His first session of individual instruction ever, I've never seen anybody. He set a school record in the very first session of individual instruction. I've never seen anybody throw up more in my life than he did at the end of that session. And it was nerves. He wanted to do so well. It was nerves. It wasn't physical. He wasn't ran till he threw up. It was nerves. And we yeah. laugh about it now to this day. But, you know, Francisco, Taekwon, Otis George, Ellis Miles. And you go back to Reese Gaines. You know, Reese Gaines could get in the huddle and say, I'm guarding Dwayne Wade. I'm guarding him. I mean, these are epic battles. And that journey of building the program up. And then uh, – you know, Coach Patino wins a national championship in 2013, and my son's his video, his only video man on that staff. I mean, it, it's amazing. The, the journey, uh, you know, the journey is, is amazing. Th those individuals, you know, the, the managers under Coach Crum, the assistant coaches. Can you imagine our staff meetings, Coach Crum, Coach Patino's first year? It's Mick Crone and myself, Kevin Willer, in that staff meeting with Coach Patino. It's pretty good meeting. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of good basketball minds. Great I mean, basketball I mean, minds. That's pretty good meeting. Yeah. Now I mean we're in there, 
I, I spent an hour on the phone with Mick Cronin last night. I mean, we're an X and an O and in basketball. And, I mean, that that's amazing. Uh, I, I think the fraternity that I take great pride in being a part of, of these individuals. You mentioned Reese. Everybody who's much under coach as a manager, a player, an assistant coach, it's an amazing fraternity. It really is. And it starts at the top with coach. I mean, I know this. If I called coach today and I said, coach, I need a favor, he'd, he'd say, what do you need? Let's go. He would. No doubt. Yeah. So in your opinion, because I've spoken to two of the – high-caliber players, Taekwon Dean and Larry O'Bannon. Larry O'Bannon's become my friend through this podcast. I actually got lucky and have become yeah. pretty good friends with Larry. What would you say was the biggest strength of that 2005 Final Four team? They were tenacious. When, we're, when we were behind, we're behind at 18 at halftime against West Virginia, walking up that steep ramp in the pit in Albuquerque. And Kevin Willard turned to me and goes, what do you think? And I said, I'll tell you this, if we can get it under five at the 10-minute mark, if we can just go out and get it – no, excuse me, under 10. I said, I'm sorry. I said, if we outscore them eight, the first 10 minutes of the second, we're going to win the game. They're not going to hit those threes. We're going to win the game. And, man, we were right on schedule. Then Taekwon starts cramping up. Francisco's in foul trouble. Larry's just living his life. I mean, he is in the zone. Otis George looks like the second coming. Ellis is getting every rebound no matter what. Brandon, we put BJ in there. Brandon Jenkins is in there just fighting. That that team was as tenacious a team as I could ever be around in my life, ever, ever. But they they were humble. They didn't care. All they wanted to do was win. They didn't care. They just wanted to win. We go to the Final Four in St. Louis, and they had a night for the teams, the night, two nights before on Thursday night. They have a, a dinner for the team, and it's just the team. It's called Salute to Champions. And they had Coach Wooden come in. And the Carolina guys, they wouldn't even pay attention. I mean, our players are like, they're like mesmerized. I am like, ready to blow a gasket because I want to go grab him and get mad at him. Like, you need to give this man your utmost attention. Our players were just incredible, incredible guys to be around. They were, they were fun to coach, and we were, the, we were a team that earned that Final Four trip, not a collection of just good players. Yeah, Francisco's a great player. Taekwondo's a great player. Man, Larry O could play, but we were a true team. So in 2006, the year after that, you moved to your current position now at Bellarmine University. Was it a tough decision to make leaving your alma mater but becoming a head coach? Because, it, I mean, the team the year before was in last place in the, in the conference. I mean, was that a tough decision? Because you're maybe at that point you're like, well, I deserve a better head coaching job? Here's what was tough. It was easy because Bellarmine stood what I stood for academically, athletically, and socially. That part was easy. So the Bellerin job actually came open the third week of February, and a lot of talk was being said. And Coach Patino, I laugh when you ask the question. Coach Patino becomes obsessed with it. Like, I mean, we're, we're, we're in the NCAA tournament run. We're, we're trying to win Conference USA, and he's obsessed with it. Like, you know, a team breakfast, he's bringing, hey, Scotty, I talked to uh, this guy that knows your, the president of Bellarmine. All right, hey, Coach, I'm, Scotty, I'm going to make this call. And I'm like, Coach, let, let's win this championship. Let, let's win the conference tournament. Let's win this regional. 
and he would become obsessed with it because he, in his vision, it was going to be what his Providence team was with Delray Brooks and Billy Donovan. That's what this government was going to be. He kept saying it. He goes, you're going to be like Providence when I had it. Well, uh, Scott Wigand, our, our AD does a super job. He calls me on a, on a Thursday night and tells me, he said, hey, we've come to a decision. You know, we're offering you the position. You're the next head coach at Bellum. So I go in the next morning and I said, coach, I need to talk to you. And I go in and tell him. Now, he's been obsessed with this for, I mean, a month. And I walk in and I tell him. And he starts screaming for five minutes about making the biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> and I'm looking at him. And like you just looked at me, I'm like, what is he talking about? So I go to my office and I'm sitting there and Kevin Willard comes bouncing in. He goes, hey, Podsy, how screwed up are you right now? And I'm looking at him. I'm like, Kevin, he goes, I listen to every word of it. He goes, he's figured out now how valuable you are to this program. He doesn't want to lose you. You'll never get a better compliment. He goes, you're going to go. You're going to be great. That, that all happened that morning. He goes, he doesn't want to lose you now. Okay. So the next day we have this press conference on a Friday and we announce it. And the next day I have individual instruction Friday and Saturday. I only have two days because we're going to start final exams. So everything's great. And I call coach to thank him because he, they went to him to get He's on the West coast recruiting. And I went to get, I said, Coach, I just want to thank you for uh, your comments. It means so much and how much you've done to me. So he goes, I, I, I need to talk to you. Really important. I'm getting ready to watch this kid play. I'll call you back. I said, okay. Well, there was three couples at my, we'd gone to dinner. My wife and I and three other, we'd gone to Pat's Steakhouse. And one guy got a new job. One guy got a promotion and the other couple just went with it. So it was a celebration for four couples. We all go back to my house at about 1130 to have dessert and we're going to, we're going to have dessert and just in the night. Cause I live very close to Pat Steakhouse. My phone rings and now it's coach calling me back. And he goes, Scotty, I, you know, I want to tell you, son, I, I'm going to miss you. And I'm so proud of you. And he's talking and he so abruptly stops. He goes, what are you doing? Are you at a party? I said, no, sir, coach. We just went to dinner and they came over here to, has some dessert at my house. Well, who did? And he's like, he, they're, they're loud. They're all talking. He goes, are you partying? I said, no, sir, coach. We're having dessert. There, there's four, three couples. Guy got a job. Guy got a promotion. Another couple's here. He goes, oh, well, he goes, I am so proud of you. Well, a few minutes after midnight, my doorbell rings. Well, you know, you got college age, teenage kids and your doorbell rings at midnight. That's not real good. I go open the door and it's a dozen red roses and two bottles of Dom Perignon. He had called somebody and commandeered them to deliver them to my house. Wow. To congratulate him. So in the box where my ring and watch from the final four team in 05, there's two corks from the, the Dom Perignon that he had sent. And that's him. That's him. He wanted all of us then to share into that. And he taught all of us that. So I take this job and 
I immediately threw in the, I met with the players. I threw everybody out of the meeting except, or excuse me, I threw the four seniors out of the meeting. We had four rising seniors. And I said to everybody left in the room, I already had Eric Scott was hired as my assistant. And I had a, a, a trainer. And I said, okay, I don't care if you have to watch film to your eyeballs fall out. I don't care if you've got to draw five charges or shoot 500 extra threes. Everybody in this room, those four seniors must have a winning season. I don't care what we got to do from this day in March, they've got to have a winning season. Or April, excuse me, it was April. And I said, uh, that'll start the momentum. My first year we went 500. We clinched a winning season and the momentum started. We got beaten the conference tournament by two. They had never even been to the conference tournament. We came back to campus and there was 250 people meeting us to welcome us back. And I took Eric Scott in our office. And I said, what are they going to do when we win? I said, we just got beaten the conference tournament first round. They're all here celebrating. He goes, I don't know, but we're going to. And six years later, you know, we win a national championship. I, I mean, these players deserve so much credit. And uh, we've never altered from our plan of putting them first, using what you're taught, and, and being extraordinary, making each other better. But it, it's been, you know, Bellarmine's been great to us. Uh, it's funny, and you got me really thinking now. So the first game, the first exhibition game in my life, we go play Louisville. And uh, I'll never forget, we're up eight. We're up one at the under eight. We're down one at the under four. And, and Louisville had just been to the final four, but, you know, lost a lot off that team. But I, I'm, I'm in that huddle. And, I mean, I go through, if they score, we're going to do this. If we score, we're going to do this. And if they don't score, run this. If we don't score, we're going to play this defense. I'm going crazy in this timeout. And the players are all looking at me like, we might win this game. And I'm trying to – now I'm going to try to relax the players because they're, they're feeling it. And I said, guys, look. Let's play like we never want this game to end. We're in freedom all. There's 19,000. Yeah. It's on TV. We don't get to be on TV. We're about, let's play all night. We don't want this game to end. Don't get tight. Let's just keep playing. They look at me like, okay, coach. Okay, coach. And I said, by the way, I've been in that huddle down there. They're not having very much fun right down there. <laughs> I mean, he's calling them. He's challenging them. They beat us by six. And – as they're as Taekwon's dribbling the clock out, I've got a matter of seconds now to compose myself and walk down there and shake Coach Patino's hand. And what am I going to say to him? I mean, I've got seconds. The clock's ticking down. Before the game, during the introductions, I'm in our huddle, firing our guys up, and he's got a microphone midcourt, bringing me to midcourt, thanking me and rub and, and rub. In, in Freedom Hall, giving me a watch that I'm wearing right here. You can't see it. There it is. And it's engraved from him. And he gives me this watch at midcourt. And he just takes the mic and does it. So now the tick, seconds are ticking down. What am I going to say to him? Taekwon's dribbling the ball. The horn sounds. I'm racing to shake his hand. Taekwon kept talking to me. And I said, Taekwon, man, he said, coach, we love you so much, coach. Thank you so much. Thank you, coach, man. Coach D, good luck, man. We're all going to pull for you. Well, 
I shake coach's hand, shake everybody's hand, get to the locker room, go to dress our team. Take my coat off, try to get myself composed. I walk in there, first game. What am I going to say to my team now, first game, after the game? Door opens. Just shoves open. It's Taekwondo. Still in his uniform. He was dribbling the clock out trying to give me the game ball. They had all planned it, so Taekwondo's giving me the game ball, and I won't take it because I'm ready to go talk to coach. He brings it, hand delivers in his uniform the game ball to our locker room. I think that explains that relationship. That's how it is. So your 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 first couple of years, you all made gradual improvements, uh, like you like you were saying, and then uh, you actually led the team in 2008, 2009 to one of the best seasons in school history up until the year you all won the, the national championship. Uh, what went right to get you guys into the Sweet 16 and you all you, you all nearly lost to the uh, eventual national champions, right, in overtime? Yes, yes, on a very, very, very controversial three. There's no replay, and we hit a three. They called it a three, um, which put us ahead with you – know, we're, we're going to tie – we're going to win the game. An official called it a three, and the official all the way across the court came and overruled him, causing the two, and we get beaten overtime, and they go on and win the national championship. Well, then there's TV footage that comes out, and it looks like it's a three. Hey, what are you going to do? But it's just like the Ballard team. It, it started that team on, and that team became driven. But the one, the one thing – that all the success at Bellarmine's attributed to. I, I could tell you about watching film and doing drills and running this offense and teaching this. I could tell you all that. The number one reason for our success is the greatest recruiters in this program are players. Because other great players want to come play with great guys and great players. And if it was a, a, a team of lawyers or accountants or doctors, the next great lawyer would want to join that firm or the next great accountant would want to join it. They're great people and they're great at what they do. And that's how we built this. It, it's all the credit, the greatest recruiters in this players uh, in this program are our players. Without a doubt. So the next season you guys were tabbed as the number one team in the nation. How do you reel back the pressure, but still keep confidence in a team that's never had that, those expectations put on them? Oh, we were fine, and we we're gonna we we're gonna win back to back. We lose two starters to injuries in the NCAA tournament. One has to have ends up having new knee surgery, and the other one separated his shoulder. He gets put in. He gets taken out. Let's just be honest. We're gonna, we're winning the game, the first round of the NCAA tournament in the regional, and he gets taken out. And he was able to play, but he was never. I mean, he couldn't lift his arm. And we tried every every doctor in Louisville. The medical community was incredible. I mean, we're down two starters, and we get beat in the final four. I mean, you know, you know, you, you have to be lucky too. You, you can't just be good. You got to be very fortunate. And we lose Keiston Jones and, and Luke Sprague, and you know, it, but but that team did everything. To answer your question, they did everything you could ask them to do. Even on coming on the heels of, of a national championship, we just suffered two two catastrophic injuries. We did. It was incredible. So the ne- that season was, or that next season, you talked about the you all won the. Uh, you're the conference tournament for the first time in school history and get, or I'm sorry, that, that year. And then that gave you confidence going into the next season, uh, which was the best season in school history. You all won a national title. You guys set records, or actually that was the first national title in anything in Bellarmine history. Yeah. Um, 
but you all set records for winning percentage, most overall wins, most consecutive wins. Explain the feeling of not only winning a national championship, but also winning a coach of the year, which was decided on by your peers in the conference. Okay. So um, I had, and ever since I've been here, it's not changed to this day. We're the most open team there is. If the media wants to come in our locker room for the game, they're welcome. Anybody is. We, we brought business leaders. We brought youth teams. I mean, I, we, because our players are the greatest marketing tool in this university. So in 2011 in Springfield, Massachusetts, Eric Crawford had total access. He was with us all the time. He was in pregame meals. He was in on the bus. He was, uh, he was in players' rooms. He was in film sessions. He had total access. So we went in the game. And it takes a long time after you win because there's on-court things with the, they give watches out and they raise a banner and there's interviews. It's, 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 a, it's a great, great busy. And then we were in this mass mutual center. There's the media was set up the opposite end of the building in this convention area. It's a long wall. Well, we go over to the, to the, the press conference after winning the national championship. And now we're walking back. You know, you, you won a national championship. And we, Justin Benedetti, a young man from New Albany, went to Providence High School. He came to Bellarmine. He was 6'4", 185. He's leaving Bellarmine. At, he's a senior at 6'7", 215. He's a grown man. He had had two knee operations. And we're walking back. And Justin Benedetti, as we approach the locker room, puts his arm around him. And he says, Coach. And he starts crying. And he's sobbing. And I said, JB, he's six, seven, two, fifteen. I said, JB, are you okay, son? I can't do it. And he's crying. He's hugging. I mean, he is sobbing. And poor Eric Crawford is standing behind us like, oh my gosh, why am I here? And I said, JB, talk to me now. Talk to me, son. What's going on? I can't do it. I said, you can't do what? He said, coach, you have preached to us to always play. Every single day, every single practice, like we never want to take our jersey off for the last time. I can't go in here and take it off. I can't do it. And we walked in there, and, you know, he's taking it off for the last time. I, I said, JB, son, you're a national champion. You're taking it off for the last time as a national champion. I literally go in there until he showered. So we walked. Eric Crawford and I walked. Bellarmine had taken over an establishment halfway between the arena and the hotel. We walked among snow flurries to this facility. And Eric said, can I say one thing to you? What, like right now, what are you thinking? I just witnessed you with that young man. After the semifinals, Jeremy Kendall cramped up so bad, we had to rush him to the hospital to get IVs. And I'd been in the ER with him all night. He goes, you, you, the last 48 hours, you've been in an ER, you've hugged this kid who couldn't take his jersey off, and now you're going to walk to a celebration. And he goes, he said, what, what can just me and you, we're walking four blocks. He goes, what are you thinking? I said, you know, I grew up in Central Avenue, didn't have anything. What am I thinking? 
And I said to him, my mother, the best that we know, had a sixth grade education. And I lose my dad. I go on. I, I marry. I have two kids. I get two college degrees. What was my mom thinking now? As I'm walking, I wonder what she was thinking. And I think you think how fortunate you are that you're coaching guys that want to be coached. Because every single player that we've recruited here, we've only promised them one thing. We're going to push you harder than you've ever been pushed, but we're going to support you more. Well, my biggest thrill in coaching, and films don't, the films will prove this. When you accomplish something great, if it's to watch them walk across the stage to graduate, if it's to watch them walk down an aisle to be married, is to stand back and watch them. So when the horn sounded in the national championship game, I went and shook Ken Wagner's hand, the head coach at BYU Hawaii. And if you watch all the films, you never see me. I was all the way at the end of the building watching them, watching them all. They had a dog pile on their court. They went to their families. They went to the students that were that had driven up 15 hours. There was 4,000 Bellarmine people there. And I stood as far away as I could stand, and I watched them. I watched them. And that drives you every single day to push them as hard as you can push them, but support them as much as you can support them. I'm sorry for the emotion. But I'm never going to apologize for crap for Karen, man. You know that that day. Uh, it, 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 it's really ironic what it, what it was like uh, because both sons, my wife, my sister, everybody was there, and Russ didn't get there till the morning of the game. He got there the morning of the game. Doug had been there all week, but everybody was there. And, uh, you know, from six years before when we had started in that room and I said, we got we to gotta have a winning season. Uh, we won a national championship. And I'm, you know, all the people that shaped my life, how am I going to thank them? How am I going to thank, you know, Coach Paffer from high school, Mr. Wold, my junior high coach, or Coach Jones and Coach Olson and Coach Crum and Coach Patino. How am I going to thank all these people, man? Yeah, it's amazing. It's what we do. You you apologize there for the emotion, and it it blows me away because it shows that it's not fake because yeah. you know, I think that was, that was almost 10 years ago. Yeah, it'd be 10 and, years ago this, this March. And your face showed me that it was yeah. like it was yesterday. Well, you know, we keep in touch with those guys, and, and they're, uh, you know, this program here, these young people deserve so much credit. That they do. That they, they're all that's right in college basketball. We've never had under a three zero semester. We've had thirty straight semesters at three zero or above. We've graduated fifty eight out of sixty one. We've had 17 players play while they were in graduate school. But we've had 17 pros. 
you know, and uh, that's why people make fun of me. Oh, he cries. But that's why I'm the luckiest guy that's ever coached any sport, any level, high school, pro, college, I'm the luckiest. There's no doubt. Yeah, I mean, you speak you, – you say that during your tenure, you've amassed a winning percentage of 77%. You advanced at four Final Fours. You've won five conference tournament titles. You've captured at least a share of six uh, regular season titles in the 15 years that you've been there. Before moving up to Division One, which we'll talk about here in a minute, yeah, uh, you 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 said earlier that you feel like that was what or the, what you had said was what had attributed to your success there at Bellarmine. Is there anything else that you would say is like the what is the biggest thing that you would say? I guess is just keeping the players first is is what helped you all be so successful. Well, how proud I am of the players, the student managers that we've had here are incredible. The assistant coaches here we've had here are incredible. And I, I'll sum it up like this. My 15 years of development is every day I get to come coach them, not I have to go coach them. When you get to go to work versus you have to go to work, there's a big difference. There's a big difference. And, and, and to build this program from where it was – People like Dr. Lynn and Mrs. Lynn, I'm sitting, you know, in this locker room facility right now, this, this team facility, this center for success that I would put against anybody in the country. Well, these players deserve it. And Dr. Lynn and Mrs. Lynn, they did it because they wanted to do it. They didn't have to do it. And a gentleman named Tom Conway, his son ran for governor. Uh, and, Mr. Conway is renovating our offices right as I speak. That's why I'm down here in this locker room. <laughs> and, and he wanted to do that. These are people that make a difference because what do we try to recruit every single player? Those who want to make others better. So I'm just – I'm so for a guy that grew up and, – and where I grew up, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of where I came from. What, what if – and this is not to be self-promoted. Um, I don't know, three or four years ago. I can tell you exactly. Um, It's on this this iPad picture thing. I was inducted in the Kentucky Athletic Hall of Fame. And the woman called me that day, and she asked me, she said, um, I I couldn't talk to her. I I started crying. I said, i got to call you back. And I, I was on a morning run, and I called her back. She said, can you explain to me why you were so emotional, not just going in the whole thing? Well, if you've ever been in the inside of Freedom Hall, or they've got them displayed now down at the Yum Center. You know those brass plaques in Freedom Hall? Yeah. They ring the whole quarter. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, I first saw those plaques when I was nine years old. And I grew up my whole life reading those plaques. And then I coached at Louisville, and I go to games at Louisville. And I won a state championship in Freedom Hall, and then I, I coach at Louisville. And I've looked at those plaques all those years. And when a woman called me and told me that my name was going to be on one of them, well, I'd done my research. I live close. I grew up closer to those plaques than anybody. <laughs> you know, Muhammad Ali lived in downtown Louisville. Uh, 
Daryl Griff lived in the West End. You know, people there go through that. I lived right down Central Avenue, right? Just if you go right down Central Avenue by the U of L baseball stadium, straight down Central, that's me. Well, I told the woman, I got so emotional because what if one kid in the South End of Louisville, what if one kid said, man, this guy didn't have a dad. He went to Iroquois and he went to Southern and man, he did okay. What if one kid gets hope from that? Then this whole thing will be worth it. Now, on the personal side of it, that plaque, my sons wrote it. They wrote it. They, they give you the parameters. It's 440 words, and you're told to write it. They wrote it. So, you know, it's... It's to think if young people, if some young kid in the South End says, man, that guy, that guy did that. And you know, it's ironic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you don't know this. I'm going to tell you something. You, you've done your homework. I mean, you have done your homework. But you don't know this. Last year, we had a game. Um, it was a big win. We beat Drury big, big emotional game for us. And we had our basketball on that year. We had some 75 basketball on that. And we were all going, I was having them all at Ottoman Country Club. We were all going to have a celebration. And I'm walking, I do the post-game obligations and I'm walking to my car and I got a text message. This gentleman introduced himself and he said, if you get a minute, could you call me? And all I got was this blind text that said, my name's Dr. Rob Falk. I'm the principal at Iroquois High School. Could you call me if you get a minute? It's Saturday evening. I'm walking to my car to get to Ottoman to be with 75 alumni, basketball former players from the, from the 60s all the way to last year. So I call this Mr. Falk, Dr. Falk, the principal at Iroquois. I call him between Bellarmine and Ottoman in three, four minutes. I said, Dr. Falk, this is Coach Dadford. He said, Coach, I appreciate you calling me on a Saturday, but I need to talk to you. I said, sure. You know, these big murals that you see of Daryl Griffiths, Louisville, and Jennifer Lawrence's Louisville, or you see Muhammad Ali's Louisville, Pat Day. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. Well, they discontinued them. But this principal at Iroquois, I've gone numerous times to speak to classes and to faculty and teams and I've gone a lot and will forever do it. On the side facing Terra Boulevard on the side of their building, it's gonna say Scotty's South End. Here's what's ironic about it. It's not up yet. The picture they showed me, I'm coaching a gentleman named Tyler Jenkins. Play for us here was in graduate school. Tyler's African-American from Indianapolis. Now, how about in this day and times, that's a kid from the South End coaching an African-American at a great school like Bellman. One kid came from a father, a fatherless home. Tyler's not had it easy himself. Here's a, an African-American, a Caucasian. And, and Tyler now, he lives right down the street from Miracle. When they put it up, he'll see it every day. That's awesome. That's wild that they picked that. 
So they picked that picture. You didn't pick that picture. Right. I, I mean, you know, in, in these difficult times, our community needs hope. We do. And I, if that makes a difference to somebody that walks in there or drives by there or runs by there and says, well, who really is this? Then maybe this thing will all be worthwhile. That's our goal. Yeah. So, I mean, it's obvious because you're excited about everything, which I would be as well with where this, the program came from and where it's I at. I have to down. Very few people know this. Yeah. And I, I got, I got over to Ottoman that night and I called Dr. Polio on the phone. And I, I said, Marty, I, I, he, he goes, I told him we're going to make it happen. Wow. I, I had to go in there. I had to sit in the parking lot five minutes. There's no way I could walk in there and face those guys. <laughs> I didn't tell my family till I got home. I got home and I said, I need to talk to y'all. And I told them. And it was it was unbelievable. So let's get back to talking about division one because I don't I don't want you to be so, yeah. so, uh, so what what do you think is the biggest challenge that you're gonna face in this transition moving up to division one? Well, it's always recruiting. It's always recruiting, but we're not gonna recruit differently. We're recruiting against different people. Recruiting, scheduling, those are both difficult. Style of play. There's a, you know, there's a first thing you learn in coaching. There's more than one way to be successful. So first lesson you learn in any level of coaching. There's more than one way to be successful. Our way works for us. We will continue to do that. Recruiting, obviously, scheduling is a challenge. Uh, the travel's different, but but we'll we'll be fine. We'll we'll be we'll be okay. It it's going to take time. I realize that, but you got to understand that we got players going there at seven in the morning for a team lift. Uh, they're going to be the first one ever to win a division one game in the history of the school. Nobody's ever going to be able to take that away from them. And then to, to schedule games like, like at Duke, at UCLA, at Gonzaga, you know, you're a young man who was Gonzaga 25 years ago. They were about. Yeah. And now, you know, they're top five in everybody's preseason poll. I remember when they beat Louisville in the tournament, I was like, I was on John staff. You have to really bring that up. That's oh, trust I me. I mean, you see the flag here behind me. It wasn't easy for me to bring it up either. So, because uh, at that point, like Louisville basketball was my life. You know, it was yeah, every that was Arizona. I that lived was at in, Arizona. It was. It was at, lived at lived and died with every win and loss. You know what I mean? But you know, and and, and the the journey and, and the way we teach the game, and um, but my overall riding the, the biggest factor in my opinion of this my view of this is if it's good for Bellarmine University it'll be good for Bellarmine basketball if it's good for Bellarmine basketball it'll be good for Bellarmine University no doubt no doubt so have you had any conversations with any local coaches uh, about maybe starting a home and home oh we're trying to play everybody absolutely we have sure we have I mean you know nobody everybody knows like like let's face it like we want to play the University of Louisville. We want to play the University of Kentucky. We want to play, you know, Xavier. We want to play Western. First of all, it means so much to our players. You go back to my thing, take care of those players. Yeah. Put those players first. Now, the games like the University of Louisville, they, they pose a lot of different uh, opportunities. Like I'm going to give you some examples. I mean, obviously you're very, very thorough in your preparation. Um, you know, Coach Crumb's first win ever. Who did he beat? UCLA, right? He beat Bellarmine. 
Oh, well, or, no, I'm sorry. He played oh, against UCLA in the tournament his first season. He, he, lost, he lost at Florida, and then he beat Bellamy. I was on Coach Crumb's staff. Knights Hall, where I'm sitting, is 60 years old. You know who the first game ever in Knights Hall was? Peck Hickman brought Louisville to Knights Hall in 1960. Wow. You know, what I would love – there's only one – there's only two schools in Division I basketball closer than Bellarmine and, and like Louisville. You know who it is? Lipscomb and, Lipscomb and Belmont got us by seven-tenths of a mile. <laughs> so, you know, why not – I would love to see like a Coach Crumb classic. He, he, coach, is, he's earned that. I'm on, I was on his staff. I'm, I, you know, he, he got his first win against Bellarmine. These are the type of things I think are good for college basketball. And our community, which is being challenged right now, what about if we, if we celebrated teachers? Or if we, I mean, how hard is it to be a teacher now? Are these nurses or doctors or these, these first responders? What, what if we, where I don't care what happens, if, if Louisville plays a Bellman, there's a butt in a seat, every single seat. With, same with a Kentucky or a Western or, or, you know, like I would love, how about an I own a Louisville, Beller, or excuse me, an I own a Bellarmine game in Freedom Hall. Coach Patino, he won a regional with Providence in Freedom Hall. He closed it down with Louisville. See, I, I've got big ambitions. But the, but the basis is what's great for our players What's great for the game of basketball? The game needs it right now. Attendance Absolutely. is going the wrong way, and we we need we got to get it going. So so let, let's 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 be a little creative and let's let's make it happen. And I think people know I'll do whatever we can take as long as you know it's it's feasible to if it'll work for both. Um, and, and and I think the game needs it. The game of college basketball needs it right now because there are a lot of things to do. So we, we will, but again, if it's great for our players, if it's great for this university, and if it's great for this community, everybody wins. Everybody wins. See, it blows me away when you talk about how attendance is going down because I absolutely agree. You can't, I mean, it's fact. So I can't, I can't disagree. But I grew up just like you did. I didn't have a lot. I grew up in, in Portland and, in, you know, the West End. And I remember my very first game, you were on staff in that game. I still remember the score. I still remember who they played. I still remember the date. It was five days after my birth, my 12th birthday, December 23rd, or after my 11th birthday, December 23rd, 1999. Do you remember who you guys maybe would have played on that day? It was a very, very well-known school. I would say Kentucky. Played North Carolina. It was the no. Joseph okay. Forte, Brendan Haywood team. No. I can tell you the story. We did not have a turnover in the first half. None. Go back and watch the video. We didn't have one. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. 23rd, 1999. Mm -hmm. It was uh, Tony Williams and Nate, and Nate Johnson, senior yeah. season. We did not commit a turnover in the first half. Now, there was a that was a 9 o'clock ESPN game. Quinn Buckner was doing the game. We ended up going to – we kind of had a little staff – party there in the Yum Center because it's right for Christmas, uh, excuse me, in Freedom Hall. A Davenport tradition that holds today was built that night. This is what happened. 
We get home about 1.30. The game didn't play, you know, it wasn't over till like 11.30. We get home. I don't shop. Christmas shopping was never good for me because it's right during basketball. I got up that next morning, and I woke two young kids up. Russ and Doug are like 12 and 13, 12 and 14. I get my wife up and said, we're going to the mall. And they said, you what? I said, we're going to the mall. <laughs> I said, I haven't shopped yet. I went to the mall. We had Cinnabons. Well, we all spread out because now I'm going to buy them some things. So I go to a, for lack of a better, a movie store where they sell movies and games and all this, right? Well, I get in there and they've got like 10 TVs. And you know what they're showing? The North Carolina Louisville game from the night before. <laughs> I stand there and I watch the last 10 minutes of the game. I'm not even shopping. I'm watching it. <laughs> The, get, the horn sounds we win. I turn around and I'm mesmerized by the game. There's 50 people around me. And they all start clapping. They go, Coach, well, I didn't even know they were standing there. Now, that was 1991, 21 years later. You know what we do on Christmas Eve? We go to get Cinnabon in the mall. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome that, that that's something that means so much so to you, me. That, is... That's the North Carolina game. You're exactly the game. And that's like, like I still remember where I was sitting. I don't remember the section number. I remember where I was sitting. I was sitting in the end zone in the second level. My aunt got me tickets. And, like, I have season tickets now. And it's something that, like, I love to take people with me because it's like I want you all to feel what I felt whenever that – Here's what we're going to do. If we get some games in Freedom Hall, I want you – you've got my cell. You get a hold of me. I'm going to put you in those seats for a Bellarmine game, those seats you sit in. 1999 all right let's do it yeah absolutely absolutely so i i I got one more question for you then we're gonna do some rapid fire questions and i'll let you get out of here yeah so the last question what are you most excited about taking about doing with this team and moving it to division one the challenge the challenge and seeing seeing our players grow and meet these challenges because what they learn in in facing these challenges are going to help them the rest of their life these challenges are going to be tough. Look, I'm not naive. I know that from a budgetary standpoint, from a scheduling standpoint. I mean, we're at everybody's mercy. We got to go play when and wherever they say we can play. And I get that. But we're going to do things here the right way. And the relationships that these guys are developing are going to last a lifetime. And I think the next 40, 45 years of their life, these players are going to be a call upon the toughness and what they've gone through here, they're going to call upon to be successful the rest of their life. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's, I mean, it's a, that's a great answer. I didn't, I didn't know where that answer, what would come from it, but that's, I mean, it's a great answer. So now, now we get to have a little bit of fun. I don't know. Are you familiar with rapid fire questions? Let's go. So familiar with rapid fire questions. I asked you, you say the first thing comes to your mind. All right. So the first one, favorite pregame meal as a coach. I don't eat before a game. No, I can't. Too nervous no, I, still to yeah, this day? I, I just can't. I just can't. I, I don't anywhere. I would say, I'm a, which I'm going to say this, this, this answer is going to get redundant. I would say a sirloin baked potato if I had to say something. If I do eat with the players, that's what it's going to be. Or if it's, a, if it's an early game like noon steak and eggs in the morning. <laughs> All right, pizza or tacos? No, I'm a I'm a I'm a steak potatoes guy. I'm a meat potatoes guy. Neither so, one. No. All right, so I guess that goes for all of wings or burgers. 
Burgers. All right. French fries or tater tots? Fries. I'm right there with you. Take Fa- fries. Favorite movie of all time? Brian's song. I did see you tweet about that not that long ago. Yes. I think it, it sends so many messages, Brian's song, without a doubt. Followed by, no, no, I've got a tie. My, my, I hope my sons watch this because they'll love it. Because they're if I don't, Brian's song and Top Gun, not even close, nothing even <laughs> close to those two. All right. Favorite flavor of ice cream? Vanilla and sherbet mixed. Vanilla and orange sherbet mixed. Okay. Your biggest fear? The unknown. I'm a I'm a control freak. I don't like surprise. <laughs> the the unknown. I, I really, and I, I I really worry. I worry. I worry about young people because it's difficult being a young person right now. You 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 know you kind of mentioned your age a little bit and mine. These young people make more decisions in a day than I made in their time when I was their age than I made in a month. Yeah. Theirs have life consequences every day. So I think I I really, my heart goes out to young people. Social media does a lot of good things, but just as many good things as it does bad things. It's tough. It is tough. It's tough. You know, listening through a lot of the social upheaval we've had, people talk about the need to listen. And nobody listens anymore. They pick up their device or they read a bullet point, or they read a text, or they look at Facebook, they don't talk and listen. You know, when I call a timeout, I can't text five of them what we're going to do if they (laughs) score and if we don't score. I can't. They have to listen, and we talk about it all the time. Lost art, listening. Yeah, so this one's going to be a long answer because there's there's four parts to this question. The best player you coached that bat – Coached against at Ballard, best player you coached against at VCU, at U of L, and now at Bell at Bellarmine. Best player I coached against at Ballard. You know, I hate to say Richie Farmer, but my gosh, he got fifty-one against us in the state tournament game. Um, you mentioned Jason Osborne was a great player. I coached against the Brahms. I mean, that that. I, I could narrow that down. I coached, you know, no, I'll tell you probably the best player at that time was Ron Mercer. They ended up going to Kentucky and played Oak Hill. Oh, yeah. Ron Mercer was a great, great high school player. He was. There were so many of them, though, because we played a national schedule when I was at Ballard. That, that would have to take a lot of research to come up that great. Wow. Wow. So how about VCU? Uh we were in the Sun Belt at the time. Um, and I'm trying to think his name. Western Kentucky was in the Sun Belt at the time. And he had a big-time player. Tellus Frank, I think, was his name. He was a rebounding-like machine. I, I would probably say say that. I know we played Virginia. Yeah, I'd have to – Boy, that you you call me that. I, I know Tellus Frank was was a great player at Western. I, if I've got that name right, I may be wrong about that, but I'll guess. I'm just guessing. At uh, at at Louisville, best player we ever played against. Because I was under Coach Crum and Coach Patino. Um, 
trying to think of the Carolina team. I tell you what, let's split it up. That way, you don't have to narrow it down because that's that's two different. Because yeah, you, the, 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 the Kentucky teams that had all those guys. Uh, wow. Best player. I'm trying to think of guys that went on to have great NBA careers. Uh, I know my first year at Louisville under Coach Crum, we went to the Elite Eight, and Carolina had uh, Shaman Williams, Ed Coda, and if I'm not mistaken, I think they had Vince Carter. I'm going to say and, Vince and, Carter. Yeah, I think they did. I think they Vince, had Vince Carter and Anton Jameson, and I think Zerge Swicker was the center. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to say Vince Carter. Yeah, and you look at you know he just finished playing. I'm gonna say Vince Carter. And That's crazy to think. Under Coach Patino, uh, golly, because we played everybody. We played those really good Kentucky teams. Um, you know, Nazi Muhammad was way up there because I know he played at Kentucky. That was under Coach Crum because uh, he played for Coach Patino. So no, not Nazi. Under Coach Patino at Louisville. I feel like you maybe have would have already mentioned him. I can maybe help you, Dwayne Wade. Yeah, D Wade. <laughs> I did mention D Wade, and 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 what about? Wow, D Wade. Golly, yeah, Dwayne Wade. I would say under Coach Patino, it would have been Dwayne Wade. Uh, the Illinois guards, I know when Deep we played down in Luther Head. Yeah, or uh, Darren Williams too. Golly. Yeah, I would say – I'd say D-Wade. And then at Bellarmine, because um, we played, you know, counting the exhibition games, some D-1 games. Uh, now, I, I'll tell you what I'll say at Bellarmine. It, we played Louisville in a real game my second year. We played them in a real game at Freedom Hall, so I'm going to include Taiwan. Uh, But the best true Division II player we ever played against at Bellarmine. Probably a kid named Cardell McFarland from Kentucky Wesleyan. He's still playing professionally. He was he lit us up and he was good. <laughs> um, we played in the national championship game in 2011. There was a kid at, at BYU Hawaii named Jet Chang. And Jet Chang, screwed how many of in the national championship game? He lit us up for like oh, he had 24 like in the first half. Wow. Jet was you was wild about that game. Coach Patino called me the morning of the game and asked me my biggest concern about playing. BYU Hawaii as a, a Mormon affiliated school. Their team had players 27, 28 years old. They had all been on missions. They were married. I'm like, Coach, I'm he goes, what are you talking about? They thought I lost my mind. I said, Coach, they're all, they were, they're all from the Church of Latter-day Saints. They've all been married. They've all been on missions. Their maturity level was my biggest concern. But Jed Chang was probably one of the best Division II players I ever played against, without a doubt. All right, your, your favorite restaurant in the city of Louisville? Pat Steakhouse. Your favorite basketball player ever? Gosh. Um, you know, I don't know how I can answer that. Because 
probably one of the, the favorite players ever that, that my favorite player ever that I either played with or against or coached. Right. So it could be anybody, uh-huh. just a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Golly, my favorite basketball player ever. I, the one I admire the most probably because of his work ethic. I'm going to break it down into work ethic. Work ethic, Jordan. You know, physical ability, Jordan. Team player, Magic. I played with a guy named Mike Shaw that was, came from a very difficult life, and he passed away a couple of years ago. But Mike Shaw overcome so much to be a good player. Uh, I played with guys that overcame so many hardships. Um, I coached a, a, a young man here at Bellarmine named Michael Parrish, who really lacked academic fundamentals. And what he accomplished to get a degree from Bellarmine will never, never be lost on me. And, and Michael Parrish came from a single, his mom was a superstar and he now works for Apple and he ended up on scholarship here. He started as a walk-on. I, I could just start going on and on because I'm trying to see people that have overcome great players like the Magics, those people. Um, the guys that, that played, I played with my whole career. Golly, I hate singling people out. So many of them Wow, that, that's probably the toughest question I've ever been asked. I'll tell you that. That's the toughest question I've ever been asked. All right, yeah. well, this is this is the last one. So if that one was tough, this was going to be even tougher. Your favorite athlete ever? My favorite athlete. We'll, we'll single this one down to when you were a kid. Who was one person that you all you would have paid every day to go to go watch? Pete Rose. See, there you go. I figured if I made it easier, it'd be, you'd be able to answer no, that. I'll tell you, because I, I think I met him. I met him once, and I, I would say growing up, uh, Pete Rose, from, from that standpoint, and in basketball, uh, as I grew up, you know, in, in my era, I, I was a team guy. Like, I was a Louisville fan. I kept score at night. I mean, I admired all those guys. I was a little bit too young to appreciate Oscar Robertson because he was a complete player. Now, I would say Pete Rose just because of the hustle. Because I, I wasn't very good, but I played hard and worked hard, and I think that's what Pete Rose did. Yeah, I, I would say Pete Rose. Well, Coach, I appreciate you so much for taking some time out for me today. Um, I, I had I had a blast. This is this was a, a very good time, and I'm I'm so happy that we got to sit down and do this. When when will uh, when will this come out? And I'll be able to put it out. I will uh, soon as we soon as we finish this. Uh, I will put everything together on iMovie because I'm recording this on my computer here. So it takes a little bit of time for Zoom to uh, convert it. But, I mean, I already recorded my intro, so literally all I have to do is just click and drag it on iMovie and let it convert over, and I'll have it out probably within the next two hours.
Yeah, after we shoot, get me, shoot me a text and say, hey, coach, I got it out there. We'll, we'll help promote you. You were, you were thorough. You were incredibly prepared. Good for you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, I'd love when this pandemic is over, maybe we'll get together and so we can actually meet face-to-face instead of through a computer screen. No, you want to you come to any Bellarmine game, any practice, whatever, hit me up. You've got my contact. You're my guest. Absolutely. Awesome. I thank you so much again, Coach Scott Davenport. And uh, if there's ever anything I can help you out with, I don't know what I could help you out with, but if there ever is, you, you make sure and contact me as well. Just go have a great day today. Stay healthy and stay safe. Absolutely, Coach. I thank you again. You bet. Take care.